Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Thomas here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And in this episode, I'm going to try and discuss uh, at a broad level what I think the Bulls should do strategically this offseason and kind of go through some different user questions uh, that came up on Twitter and on the Real GM forum. All of those probably will tie in uh, to what I'm, what I'm going through uh, overall. Now, last season on the Jimmy Butler episode, I mentioned that there's not many teams in the league that I feel are worse off than Chicago. And I'd say, man, I'd rather be Chicago than these guys. And so going through these, I think probably those teams would be the Detroit Pistons, the New York Knicks, maybe. I think that one is kind of up in the air. Uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, for sure. After that, um, I don't know, maybe the San Antonio Spurs. I think they're definitely on the way down. Um, and, you know, oddly enough, maybe the Houston Rockets uh, would be another team. And I know that one sounds completely ridiculous you know, based on you know them making the second round of the playoffs. But I feel like their future is so dim like you're you're kind of stuck with this team with Harden and Westbrook and not a lot of future draft capital. I think that's going to be a hard fall, and it's it's so long before you're going to be able to recover. But I probably can't say that because at least they're going to make the playoffs again next year, you'd assume, and and they still will have a shot at like you know second round and some kind of decent finish. Uh, maybe the Charlotte Bobcats. So yeah, probably the Bobcats. I'd I'd throw on that list. So maybe that gives me the the Bobcats, Pistons, Knicks, Cleveland. Yeah, I don't know if there's almost anyone. The Spurs, maybe. You know, and it's kind of like those teams, too. It's like, yeah, maybe I'd take them, but it's not like they're way worse, you know, off like it's we're basically all in the same boat. So with that said, the Bulls definitely have a long way to go to get better, and how are we going to, you know, accomplish that task is going to be an interesting question. And so the uh, first question, uh, just very straightforward, what would be your plan for the Bulls roster going forward? And he says, you know, if it were me, uh, I would try to trademark it in, uh, maybe to Phoenix, Boston, Philly, uh, Sato and Young, and maybe uh, to the Blazers for some dead money uh, at the deadline. You know, dangle Levine, see what we could try to get. Try to trade Porter for bad contracts and picks. You know, that's uh, the, the general gist. It is trade off all these guys you can, get as many picks as you can, and go from there. Basically, you know, we're going to start over, so you might as well just get as many picks as you can. And I, and I think, like, if from a high level, I, I generally agree with that sort of approach uh, is, is something I would do, and I'll, I'll get that into a little bit more detail. And I thought this was a really great question for Nuance. How do the Bulls modernize a roster built around two young bigs? Uh, winning teams are rolling out one and sometimes zero bigs onto the court. And, and I think that's interesting. You know, theoretically, Larry Markkinen would be a valuable player because he's a big who can shoot. And, and the reason teams aren't rolling out a lot of bigs is because they want guys who can shoot. And I actually looked this up and I, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but it was like Lowry was maybe the third best shooting legit power forward center in the NBA last year. And he didn't really have a great shooting year. So what that tells you is that the stretch four is, is really kind of dead and has been replaced by uh, the small forward or, or guard or small ball and, and having really good shooters who are just smaller and faster. And so if you're going to be Larry Markkinen, what you have to be able to do is take advantage of your size or you have to be able to play center and uh, not power forward because and when he's going up against a smaller power forward, he's not really able to create a dominant matchup advantage for himself in the post or score in the post and use his 
his height to uh, create advantage. And so he's not getting a lot out of that. And then he has a deficit in speed against a, a small ball lineup. So overall, I think he loses that small ball matchup. And you have to come up with a way that Larry wins that. And, you know, Carter, I think, is an interesting uh, choice. And same with Gafford. You know, these are guys who maybe can play the five, especially in a small ball lineup. You know, they, they could both be, you know, good fives and could be in that uh, rim runner, dunker type position and, and do well there. And so I think those guys are both players, but they're not guys you build around. I thought what is kind of interesting about this question is you ask, like, why are we building a team around these guys and why you don't think we're building the team around Kobe White and Zach Levine, who are two perimeter players. I think at this point, there's really no one you're building this team around. But I do wonder where Lowry Marketing fits in the NBA. It's, it really isn't the case that there's like a lot of big men shooters. It's just teams are going so much smaller now and it's just more wings, wings, wings and having good shooting uh, players. So uh, Lowry, I think to be a good player in the league, he just needs to shoot the ball a lot better. And then, then you can kind of be okay and, and you force teams to match up against you. And in the end, it's like he's, he's, the problem is not that he's a power forward. The problem is that he's just not good enough. I think is really the you know, the, the gist of it. If he was having a, a great, uh, great career, then you might not worry about the fact that, yeah, it doesn't quite fit into the modern NBA as well as you'd like. You'd just be happy you at least have, you know, some great players. Um, what we want to hear, what type of style the new head coach should play to get the most out of the core and also who is part of the core? And I think that is an interesting question. I'm going to get into that part a little bit later. In terms of the coach, though, and what, what style you'd want to see them play, I think you can't worry about trying to maximize the guys on the roster right now. I, I think you have to bring in the coach you think is going to be a good coach. And then, uh, you know, he has to try and you know, pick the style that will fit him. And, and I don't think you pick a coach based on the guys who are here because I just don't think too many of them are going to be here uh, very long. Now, obviously, any coach you pick who's a good coach is going to adapt somewhat to the talent that is here and, and utilize them as best they can. But I don't think we're going to bring in a coach and be like, ah, you know what, Lowry is this type of player. We should bring in this type of coach uh, so that he'll do the best. I think we'll, we'll pick the best coach, and then he'll figure out how he feels these guys should work in their lineups. I do think you know, Lowry really struggled as a you know, kind of standalone shooter. Uh, he worked a lot better when he had the ball a little bit more, I think, and uh, wasn't just kind of standing around the corner where we had him moving. You know, he, he's most effective when he's getting the ball and then, you know, has the, the drive. And that was actually where he scored most of his points. I mean, he's never really been as great a three-point shooter as we thought he might be coming out of college. But where he was effective was, you know, putting the ball on the floor and, you know, getting guys to leap out at him to, to, to miss. And then he, he goes in and, and takes them uh, to the basket. And that, that's kind of been really his most effective play. Uh, you know, I, I view him very similar to Nikola Mirotic in, in that perspective. And a guy who also we thought would become a much better shooter than he really ever did end up becoming. And so, I, you know, I don't know what will be the case with, with Lowry, but, you know, someone who gets him into that action a little bit more, I think, is probably what you'd mainly want to do. And someone who can figure out how to uh, use Zach Levine and Kobe White together, get those guys to pass the ball enough and, and uh, come up with some type of offense around those guys, I think, obviously you need. But... I don't think like stylistically the Bulls have like players that really, God, it's just like such a mess. Like you've got Zach and Kobe who really aren't great passers. Who's not a true point guard on the team and not even, I, I even hate the term true point guard because usually we think of true point guards that don't really even exist that much like Magic Johnson or Jason Kidd. Like those guys are just not really around, but we don't really have a great court vision guy 
on the team, or even a good court vision guy. And so I think this is a team that is, is just functionally not an easy team to build an offense around. And so whoever comes in is going to have to kind of do the best they can. I know it's sort of a cop-out, but I don't have any great schemes that I think this team is going to uh, dominate uh, in. And uh, But we will get into a little bit about the core later. And uh, finally, with uh, Markton Levine, which do you think is more likely to extend? Levine is clearly better, but may require max. Laura's value might be low, so he'd sign a team-friendly deal. But at this point, would we even want to sign a team-friendly deal? Could we flip him for another struggling player like Knox? And I think that's a, a possibility you could do something like that. I, I mean, clearly Laurie's value is low, so I don't think you're going to get a whole lot in trade. I, I don't know that I'd be too excited to trade him for Kevin Knox, to be honest. I'd, I'd probably just stick with what we have. In terms of guys we would extend, uh, my answer to that is going to be Zach Levine, and I'll discuss that why in just a moment. So, uh, now, that was a, running through those questions real quick. I, I hope the rest of my my talk will kind of get into the answers in more depth. So looking at this 2020 offseason and how we're going to try to build and, and put something together. First, uh, we're not going to get under the cap. We don't have enough room to get under the cap. We don't know exactly what it is, but it's probably going to be less than it was last year, uh, probably a decent amount less. So there's no way we're going to have cap space. So uh, right away, you can throw out anything that involves signing free agents uh, over the mid-level exception. We're going to assume that Otto Porter opts into his contract at $28.5 million with the cap going down. It would it'd be crazy for him not to. Uh, I guess anything is possible, but it just seems like he's, he's a locked opt-in unless something uh, crazy happens. So he's, he's a $28.5 million expiring deal. Uh, Cristiano Felicio is a $7.5 million expiring deal. Uh, Larry Markkinen at this point is a $6.7 million expiring deal who also has some positive trade value. Otto Porter may have positive trade value as time goes on. I mean, right now, I don't think he has any. And no one would be excited about him. But I do think, you know, towards the deadline, if he stays healthy and is playing decently, then a team that is looking to put something together might be interested in trading for him and him being a piece of that team. Because theoretically, he's a, an outstanding shooter who can create a little bit and is a quality defender and, and really fits into this kind of power forward type role, even though I would never traditionally view him necessarily as a power forward. He now fits as kind of one of these small ball power forwards who can give you a lot of shooting and uh, enough defense. So I think he may have some value, but it, it really is upon him to, to stay healthy for that to add happen. And, I mean, it, there's really no reason to think that that is going to be the case based on how things have gone recently. Uh, but those guys are expiring. And, and so if you're going to make trades, I think there is something compelling about trying to trade guys, take on longer uh, contracts, take on more salary, and try and get draft picks back. And I know, you know a lot of people suggested that his recently that has not been such an easy thing to do. I think the shortening of the contracts at the last CBA where most deals now are four years has really limited the amount of uh, salary trades that go through because, you know, in the end, it's like you sign a guy for the first year, you're obviously going to keep him. So now the most dead salary a guy has is like three years. You know, you realize a mistake after one year, but most of the time, even if a guy doesn't have a great first year, you give him a second chance in the second year and be like, all right, maybe he can turn it around. And so now you've got two years left before you've really, truly given up all hope. And, you know, that's just not much time because you fight through one more year and now he's an expiring deal. So I, I just think those trades, like they're not as bad. You got to find a team that is uh, looking at luxury tax and find a way to save them luxury tax money. And then I think those types of trades become really valuable particularly if a team is lined up to pay the repeater tax or is like deep into the tax and has those escalating penalties. Now, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the CBA this year because if uh, the money is projected to be considerably smaller 
than it was in the past. And the, the cap goes way down. The luxury tax goes way down. It'll be interesting to see if the league you know, does anything artificial to change this. Now, when we had the giant cap spike and we had the reverse of this problem, the players union would not allow the league to smooth anything out. And so it'll be interesting at this point, the players union would love to keep the cap higher, obviously. So they would be pro smoothing things out at this point, but I'll be curious to see if the NBA teams are in favor of smoothing things out. It wouldn't surprise me if the salary cap goes down, but they kept the luxury tax at like the same level it is or something. So they weren't penalizing teams by having luxury tax slide way down into a territory that they didn't expect. But it will be interesting to see how they negotiate all of these things and how they unfold. If the luxury tax does stay in place and the cap goes down and the, the luxury tax numbers go down with it, I think you are going to see teams looking to shed salary uh, this year. Now, the problem is the Bulls don't have cap room, so they can't take pure cap space. But then it does make sense like if you can even uh, take a trade like Felicio for someone who makes $10 million and you know, they save that $2.5 million in, in the difference. Like you may even find trades like that and something with Porter who makes $28.5 million, and now you can take back with Porter and Felicio, say like $50 million or something in total. I don't know what the exact math is. I didn't put together. My apologies for that. But whatever it ends up being, you know, and you can save the team like seven, eight million dollars when you're in those five million dollar increments on the luxury tax. It makes a huge, huge difference in terms of saving a team money. So I think there might be some opportunities there, depending on what they end up doing with the tax. And that might create some some chances for you to uh, be able to to bring on uh, someone and, and get a pick now. The other side of that is any team that's actually under the cap is going to be the first go-to for those types of trades. And so they'll probably have all of the, the really good deals because they can take on the money and save the most and things like that. So the Bulls might get locked out of those deals. It just depends how much money is actually really around the league. If the cap goes down a lot, there might not be nearly as many teams capable of doing that either. So we'll just watch that and see how it goes. But I do think it'll be interesting. Probably a great year to go long on guys for four years too. I think you're going to get a lot of talent at the mid-level exception this year because uh, there's just not going to be a whole lot of money uh, to go around, but there's still going to be the same number of players. So I think this is a year you want to use your full mid-level exception, and I think you should be able to get a better player this year than you might traditionally. The other thing I think would make a lot of sense for the Bulls, you know, assuming they should be looking for those types of trades, try to get picks any way that they can, the other thing I think would be really interesting for the Bulls is to try to extend Zach Levine. And the reason I say that is... After two years, Zach is eligible for an extension. So this is his second season on his contract is, is now over. So he's eligible for an extension. We can add three years onto his contract uh, in total, which would give him five total years left. And the most we can pay him is 120% of his current salary. And I think that is the key number here. So that puts his first year at $23.4 million, And then if we give him 8% raises after that, which would be the, the maximum, he'd be at 25.2, 27.2, and it, the whole thing would be about $76 million added on uh, to his contract uh, for three more years. And, you know, that average around $25 million a year. And I think that's really going to be a pretty outstanding deal, and I think it makes Zach Levine more valuable because now you, you have control over him for a long period of time. So if you do want to pivot and trade Zach, you know, a team looking at him like, man, we really could use another score. This guy is a, a volume player. He can do a lot of things for us. They know they're going to be able to have him for, say, four years at a, a still a very reasonable price. Uh, the, you know, this number will be below the 25% maximum uh, salary threshold and way below the 30% maximum salary threshold. And usually you just have to pay a lot of money for offense. And so I think that becomes a pretty good deal. And if you get Zach on that deal as well and you extend them, then 
it's easy to say, all right, Zach is now one of our key pieces moving forward. He's part of our core, and we, we don't have to worry about the threat of him uh, being having this crazy negotiation in two years or walking away and leaving to another team. And so I think that that becomes something you should try to do. Now, will Zach accept that type of offer? The compelling thing about it from the Bulls' perspective is there's really no negotiating. You can just offer, like, this is the most we can offer you. And, and Zach can either say yes or no. And it's similar to the situation uh, Draymond Green was in and when he accepted the max extension from the Warriors. And it was a lot lower than you thought it might be in terms of the total dollars, but it was the most the Warriors were able to pay him in an extension. And because of that, there's no bad blood. There's no negotiation. It's just like, hey, look, this is the most we can offer you. Do you want it? And if he says yes, you just take it. So I think that would be a great position for the Bulls to be in with Levine, and I would uh, sign him uh, to that extension if he was willing to accept it. So looking at the other players on the team, you've got uh, Thaddeus Young. He's, he's on the hook for $13.5 million this year, 14.2 next year. Only six million guaranteed the, that in that final year, and Sato's worth ten and ten the next two years, with so five million guaranteed on his final year. I think probably for both of these guys, I would be willing just to try to trade them for expiring deals if I could and get out of the, those deals and just have the cap room and re-roll the dice later. Like I don't think you're getting so much out of either of these guys that uh, I'm excited to keep them on at this point. I was happy with both signings when we made them. I thought they were both going to be two pretty good players who would help the team. And they could have been, you know, they could have been good players, but it didn't really end up working out that way. Thaddeus Young just looks like he fell off the cliff uh, in terms of age. Maybe he'd be a good fit on another team that's trying to win right now. Uh, I think he still could help a team out like that, and that would be fine. Sato, yeah, maybe he he's maybe he'd be okay. You know, I think the main thing is he just didn't shoot well last year, and if if he could just get his shooting back up to forty percent from the three point line, I think you'd still be kind of okay with him on the deal he's at. So. I'd be a little less worried about it, but I, I would say one of the things you might be able to do if everything went super well is you might be able to play free agency in 2021, and if you could get those guys combined 11 million uh, uh, guarantees out of the way, you know, if you waive them both, you're still paying 11 million. You could free up that 11 million from the cap that would go a long way towards helping you do something in that year, uh, and you know, you just don't want that dead money. So if I could move those guys, I would. I don't know that I would be able to find anyone to take them uh, and just give me expiring deals. I certainly wouldn't pay to move them. Uh, I don't think it's worth giving up draft capital to move these guys. Can't give up draft capital when you're in this position. So if you can do it, if not, then you just have to keep them. Uh, Denzel Valentine, I, you just got to let him walk. I mean, he's a restricted free or yeah, restricted free agent. I mean, I don't think anyone wants Denzel Valentine back to you. I mean, maybe Fred does, but that's, that's probably about it. Uh, Chris Dunn, I would make him the qualifying offer. It's about $7 million and then just see where his market value is. I think that Dunn is probably going to get uh, would I shouldn't say I think he would have been overpaid, but now with this weird free agency year, I'm curious to see what happens. I mean, he's he's carved a nice niche out for himself where he's a defensive player, can guard a few positions. You know, he still has ball handling and passing skills. If for whatever reason he could ever put together a shot uh, that was consistent, you know, he could still be a very valuable player. Uh, clearly with his age, it doesn't seem real likely that that's going to happen and he's going to become any type of super valuable player, but he's a rotation player. He's, he's a good rotation player. And so, you know, I'd be okay exploring what the value is for him. And if it's cheap and you can get him for, you know, three years and 10 million or something, I'd be okay with keeping Chris Dunn on a, on a deal. And even if it was maybe three or 15 million, something like that, I, I think I'd be okay with it. I think Chris Dunn might be one of those guys who gets close to the MLE. But with this really tight market, I think his, his value is going to be harder to find. People usually don't pay for defense. And, and so I think Dunn is a guy I'd be willing to, to keep. But, 
you know, it, it's kind of up in the air. You know, the other part of me is like, what does Chris Dunn give me that Shaq Harrison doesn't give me at way less cost? And the answer is, is actually really difficult for me to figure out. I just feel a little bit better about Chris Dunn. But realistically, Shaq Harrison may just be kind of like the same player and I'm going to be able to pay him, you know, basically minimum salary. So why, why do I want to keep Chris Dunn? And, and that's something the Bulls will have to explore as well. I mean, they definitely kept too many of these like really small guards last year you know, that were of, of questionable uh, quality. And you'd like to see them add a little bit more on the wing this year. Of course, wings are super valuable in the NBA right now and are just difficult to add. So maybe easier said than done. And that brings me to Chandler Hutchison, which is, do you even pick up his fourth year option, you know, given how he's played and given that you might want to be trying free agents in, in two years and you might not want his guaranteed salary on the books at that point. And I think the answer to that is you probably have to pick up his option this year. Uh, I mean, he's, he's already going to be here ne- this year, but you have to pick up his 21 option as well. And so I think that kind of is the main set of decisions the Bulls will be looking at for this offseason. I think probably if you're a tourist, you're going to go through this offseason. You're going to try and see what you have. You're probably not going to make any super radical moves right away. I think in when you don't have a lot of assets on hand, you don't have a lot of things that are super valuable, and you know you're going to have to kind of build up from just kind of nowhere. I think at this point, you want to be uh, smart about your moves. You want to make sure you're winning every move you make by just a little bit. You know, you're probably not necessarily going to go for home runs, trade away your future picks, you know, try and collect more assets, trying to collect things that can build, you can build with. You know, I think Lowry is a guy I would definitely trade if there was a market for him. I would be all over that trade. I just don't see him as someone that I think I'm going to want to pay next year when he's a free agent. And so if I could get a pick in this draft, even even though I don't like this draft that much, I'd probably move Lowry for, you know, picking the lottery, late, late lottery, and see so like, all right, at least I'm resetting around a guy who's got four years of control and some youth, and um, this other guy is just going to go, and maybe I, I hit the jackpot. There's a lot of guys in this draft that even though I don't think they're, you know, great players, uh, for sure, they're very high-risk players. Some of these guys are going to pan out and be be very good players, so... I would say, all right, now I have two chances. I'll probably pick a bus with one of them, but maybe I'll hit on the other, and, and that's, that's fine. At least I now have a couple bullets to go with here, and that's better than this guy who's going to be looking for big money uh, after the season's over and, and that I probably don't really want to pay him that money. And so I would, uh, I would definitely try to trade Lowry given, given the opportunity. And, you know, it was Zach Levine. If I can get that extension in, I'd probably keep him. If I can't get an ex- extension in, I'd also be willing to, to shop Zach, see what his value is at. I don't think it's going to be super high. Uh, you know, there's always a problem when you don't have a lot of control with a guy left, and that is the position with Levine. And so a team's going to be like, well, I don't want to give up, like, tons and tons to get this guy who can just leave me in two years, you know, unless they really feel they're a Zach Levine away from, from doing something special. And I'm not sure, you know, if there's any team that truly feels that way. So... I think that is that's kind of the, the difficult thing there is like you have these guys and I'm not attached to any of them. I just also don't think they have a lot of value. So you're not going to get a whole lot. So Lowry, because of his uh, very, you know, only one year left, his very short stay left and then renegotiation afterwards. Lowry is a guy I'd probably look to aggressively move. Uh, Levine a little bit less aggressively, but if there was a good, good deal, I would probably take it. And, you know, everyone else you just evaluate on and as as uh, as it comes basis if someone is interested in one of your guys you can you certainly talk and see where they're at but you don't have to aggressively shop anyone else so that is kind of my my rough view of what i would do in this 2020 offseason and what i would try to explore and uh, that'll do it for this edition of the bulls beat talk to you again soon